Welcome to Camera Shake Podcast, episode 77. And of course, we have another awesome guest on the show. But before we get there, let me just remind you that if you are listening to the audio version of this podcast, you can not only hear our sultry voices, but also see our lovely faces in full Technicolor over on YouTube. All you have to do is go to youtube.com forward shake, forward shake, forward slash camera shake, <laughs> and you'll see us in our full glory. Now, that being said, this is Camera Shake Podcast, episode 77, with me, Kirsten Nuts and Nick Kirby. And today's special guest is none other than the music and portrait photographer, Interfit devotee and fellow musician, as I've just recently found out. Give it up for <laughs> Mr. Ben Bentley. Ben, man, how's it going? Hey, hey guys, thank you so much for uh, yeah for having me. So, what what do you play, Ben? I need to know because we're, oh, so we're, yeah, we're forming I, I, a, a camera shake band. Right, right, yeah. There you go. No, so I am yet another middle of the road guitar player. <laughs> Excellent. Well, this is why I've got this here. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. I was I, I was gonna ask you about that before. Yeah, I saw that uh, that neck poking in in the corner. Yeah, like, that's great. Yeah, no, mine are uh, still in cases. I was actually playing last night, so so yeah. Oh, okay, my, awesome. My stuff is still by the doorway where I dumped it when I came in. Uh, yeah, when I came in last night, which is why I'm slightly hoarse as well. Right. I uh, I am so far out of practice at this point that I can't play a gig without losing my voice. Yeah. So. Where, did, where where did you play? Uh, so I played at a session that a friend of mine runs, uh, sort of semi regularly, uh, literally just sort of yeah half a mile down the street from where i live so very convenient i don't travel too far to play these days okay. so do you, do you play and sing <laughs> i do yeah yeah so i a million years ago i was i was in a band which which kind of actually was what led me towards uh photographing music eventually um but uh but yeah i wasn't the singer i was the guitar player but i wrote a lot of i wrote a lot of the songs and in the last sort of yeah year or so with an awful lot of time on my hands i kind of revisited some of that stuff uh and kind of got to sort of um, I guess eventually sort of return it to sort of maybe closer to what the idea was originally rather than it being we were a kind of like an indie landfill band and it sort of despite best intentions and, and where I was coming from musically everything was going through a very popular sort of commercial filter at that point so no taking some of these songs back into my own kind of possession and sort of yeah kind of getting back to sort of more so what they were kind of meant to be in the first place um has been really fun it's been really really nice um and yeah after moving after moving uh to, to Sheffield, I ended up meeting a bunch of, of really, really great local musicians and stuff. And it's been fun to kind of sort of, yeah, become part of a, a wider kind of sort of, uh, yeah, community of sort of songwriters here. There's so many talented people in such a small, small place con comparatively. It's it's really exciting. I love I love hearing people's music. Um, and it's, um, yeah, it, it's lovely to be able to go back outside and share that with people and, and get to listen to live music again. I'm sure you guys, yeah, yeah um, feel the same way about that. Hell yeah. You know, we, we almost did this to Dave Clayton a few weeks ago. And, um, <laughs> so in about an hour's time, we may, uh, request <laughs> a <laughs> song request. or two from you. <laughs> Acapella's fine. <laughs> Excellent. Well, this, I mean, this is sounding good. So I think Nick, now we, we, we may actually have found a singer for the band. So I mean, you've not heard me sing yet, but uh, but yeah, no. <laughs> it is so funny though, because so many so many photographers I know are musicians, and likewise musicians who love to take photos. And it, yeah. I, I I do firmly believe that those those synapses are some of the same synapses that fire. I think totally, yeah, yeah. completely yeah. agree. Where 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 can uh, where can we have a listen? Uh, so these, these days i literally i don't have anything online like in honestly in this last year i have i have only just sort of kind of come back to sort of 
to doing this even remotely kind of seriously i was honestly too busy for a very very long time to i'm kind of very much like a a whole ass kind of person um and work has just consumed my life for the last for the last yeah. decade um to the point at which i would still noodle around playing guitar at home but i i hadn't written or recorded anything literally um in yeah about eight or nine years until last year um, because hence <laughs> another cliched story, but we all have plenty of time on our hands, right? So, uh, totally. so yeah. So the idea is, I've I've written um, I've written an EP in this in this last sort of um, yeah twelve months, and I'm really eager to uh, yeah to actually get that recorded now and sort of because those songs kind of make sense together, and it's sort of it, it, it's a kind of a complete idea at that point. So so yeah, once that is eventually uh, finished and and out there, um, it's a series of very scratchy demos at this point, but uh, yeah. I'm hoping that in the new year, um, yeah, that that I'll get to actually uh, record that with a friend of mine who's a fantastic producer. I'm, I'm also it was also another thing of like not recording it for the sake of it, but holding on to be able to actually do this with the with the people that I want to play on this too, which is kind of kind of important to me really actually because it kind of ties together thematically a lot of the mm. a lot of the stuff that i was writing about so it's Definitely. one of those things where i've waited 10 years to <laughs> to, to produce something on my own as an individual so yeah i don't i don't see why another few months will uh, will hurt that process at this point well if you're looking for cameo appearances of a bass player and a a, a guitarist i, I know well, one no, or two. Honestly, this this is it the sort of the uh, the sort of the 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 crew, the crew list is not complete as yet and and to be honest yeah like there's there's different songs that i want different people on for different reasons so it's it's uh yeah it's all still to play for at this point i can i can awesome. i can feel a camera collaboration coming on here yeah <laughs> nice well there you go if you said dave plays too then then yeah just rope in as many people yeah. as you can i tell you what we uh we'll get you to sing on the camera shake podcast theme tune <laughs> <laughs> yes. Excellent. That's great. Can you, can you do this? <laughs> right. It's got a definitely like a seventies adult film kind of vibe. This is. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the funny thing. The funny thing about that was, you know, when we first started this um, this podcast, uh, it, that was literally at the beginning of the pandemic. You know, when everything was locked down completely, and like you weren't allowed to go outside for longer than forty five minutes mm. for exercise and all that kind of jazz. Um, you know, and we came up with the idea of starting a podcast because we really had nothing else to do. Um, we, you know, we needed a creative outlet, basically. Yeah, I totally get that. Uh, you know, and so, and then, of course, you know, we were sort of talking about, okay, you know, how are we going to do it, blah, blah, blah. And then we thought, like, oh, we need a theme tune. And um, and so I went, okay, well, all we need is six seconds of a theme tune. So I just went and wrote that in like 20 minutes flat. And I wrote and recorded the whole thing in 20 minutes flat. That's amazing. <laughs> Set it over to Nicholas and go, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, it was kind of... It's a complete package. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is, uh, this is the thing. You know, the the interesting thing about this um, and about having you on the show is this actually that, you know, there are a lot of similarities between us, um, I sense, because, you know, um, my way into photography was actually also through music. Right. Um, you know, and I uh, really all I did is I spent about twenty five years as a session musician, and then, um, and uh, and the way for me into photography was literally just stepping off of the stage and photographing you know my friends who were playing on stage, um, and you know what I found initially was really two things. One was um, I ha I instinctively knew what was going to happen on stage because once once you've spent decades on stage, you kind of know how people move. I mean, it doesn't take you long to figure out. You know, um, this is really surreal hearing somebody else say those words back to me, because I kid you not, I literally said that 
to somebody almost <laughs> verbatim um yeah less than less than two weeks ago when when people ask me about that kind of yeah. stuff i literally have said the exact sentence that you just said and it is it's that intuition hmm. and it's that kind of being of that world that kind of it, it does provide a context that i would like to think yeah. yeah somehow separates those individual experiences separate how you look and subsequently present yeah. what is what is going on and even just that instinctive stuff of okay like i know we're coming up to the guitar solo or there is going to be a, a, a drum a drum fill or yes. what do you know what i mean positioning yourself accordingly for something exactly. that you know musically is about to happen yeah again i felt like that was a that was a huge a huge sort of advantage and it always would make me laugh when i would see and it sounds like i'm throwing shade here and maybe i'm a little bit but uh but no when i when i still see to this day uh photographers chasing something that have just happened so if somebody does the somebody does the whole jump or whatever on one side of the stage and all of a sudden 20 people run <laughs> that <laughs> side thinking for some reason he, he's going to do the exact same thing again right yeah. like that's not how the world works exactly um, unless you're at a punk show maybe and everybody's just jumping all the time but yeah. do you know what i mean just silly things like that and it's kind of like yeah it it is it is kind of yeah it was always amusing to kind of to, to watch that sort of yeah happen in front That's, of you you know the other <laughs> thing is is that you know i think once you've once you've spent you know some years performing on stage and you play with lots of lots of other musicians you kind of get a sense um of how somebody moves because you've got you know different i call them like different types of guitarists like mm -hmm. some some are like stuck in the same spot and they hardly move and then you've got others who will take advantage of the whole width of the stage for example right. yeah and so you know once you figured out i think within the first song you've easily figured yeah. out yeah it becomes kind very of apparent very quickly yeah exactly and the same with lead singers you know, drummers don't really move that much, but you have very flamboyant drummers and you've got drummers who really hold it very much together. Yeah. So, you know, you get a really good sense. And um, it was really interesting for me is, because um, I talk a lot about concert photography um, in like, you know, in, in a camera club setting, for example. Um, what in, What's really interesting to me is that whenever I talk to other concert photographers or music photographers, it's interesting to see um, how, you know, techniques differ sometimes and and how they kind of match you know for instance my camera setting one of the most common questions i get asked when i do a talk on, on something like that is uh, you know what camera settings do you use you know in a concert situation that's a very interesting thing because you know i've compared what i do with some other people and they have a completely different idea as to what works for them you know so that's i find it i find it quite uh, i find it quite interesting yeah, honestly, and, and that's it. And I think ultimately, if everybody was doing it the same way, then yeah, there would only be need for two people just because one person can't be in place at the same time, right? So no, the fact that there is still so many people out there shooting that kind of work is down to the fact that they, to some extent, there is some variations on the theme and whatnot. And I must admit, over the last few years with um, the, the big... Uh, Bigger, bigger that sort of uh, sort of festival stages have gotten, and sort of the, the more and more people that have been accredited to shoot them, the the appeal of standing shoulder to shoulder with sort of thirty other people to take long lens shot from fifty to sixty feet away that doesn't quite grab me the same way which it once mm. kind of would. Um, but but no, the idea of then having to work around that and actually do something else to bring something to the table that's where that kind of sort of starts to get exciting um and i think at that point 
yeah, like that. I, I, I like a challenge and I'm definitely a problem solver in that regard. And sort of, yeah, the idea of doing something different and bringing something else to the mix that isn't the same as what this guy here and this lady here and yeah. whoever else is going to end up with, right? Like it's, yeah, that, that's, the, that's the challenge at this point. Yeah. Do you have a particular strategy that you have when you go to um, shoot a concert? So it, it kind of it kind of differs depending on what the uh, the purpose is really and the and the output mm-hmm. and what the imagery is going to be used for. Um, so for the for quite a long time, uh, for sort of for about eight years or so now, uh, I've been one of the photographers at the NME, and sort of as a result of that, because it was a a glossy. It was the it was the biggest print publication, music publication in this country uh, for for decades, and the I guess the um, the privileges that afforded was that we got great access. We we for the most part we weren't restricted to three songs at the beginning of the show, and we would have on stage access, and we would have time to negotiate these venues and sort of. Do you know what I mean? I was getting stuff from places people other people physically couldn't get, mm. and therein lied in my opinion they're in lay sort of yeah what became interesting about telling those stories was it wasn't just simply that same single vantage that people were seeing from from just dead in the middle of the stage from the pit or whatever um so yeah so and i mean and that's and that is different again shooting a music story editorially through to shooting when you're on tour with an artist and you're essentially shooting the same band uh in similar looking venues every single night and that that becomes a different set of challenges in itself whereby which you are really working hard by show three or four once you know that set inside out to not shoot the same images and like i quite like the challenge of that um there's even been times when i've i've maybe shot a residency with a with a, with an artist and we've been in yeah the the same venue <laughs> for like a week or whatever and it, and that really does become this kind of this sort of this 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 game almost of like okay but how can i okay so tomorrow night i'm going to do this and during this stage of the whichever song i'm going to be here and i'm so it yeah it, it definitely becomes kind of more strategic at that point but like i said it kind of does boil down to okay who is the client what is this imagery being used for and how best do i sort of achieve what they need from these images in the time that i've got to produce them basically yeah. um because quite often when you're on tour with an artist you're basically shooting imagery that is going to be used on a day-to-day basis potentially for social stuff but you're also looking for those hero shots which are going to sell next year's tour basically so you're looking for those probably quite wide established kind of full stage shots with a crowd who are just absolutely in tears on shoulders arms in the air do you know what i mean you're kind of there is there is a there's sort of a, a shopping list within that sort of uh within that brief or certain kinds of stuff that you just know inherently has value. Those kind of moments are the reason that you are there in order to be able to provide them, whether it's the management company or the label or whatever, with with that kind of imagery to be able to, yeah, to be able to do this again in six months or 12 months or whatever and, yeah. and so on and so forth. This this is one of the things I you know I always mention you know in in that context is really the pre planning and the being prepared for things um, that really makes it all like my, my strategy was always whenever you know there was a limit on three songs for instance was really you know I would basically go I would start the first track with like a mid range uh, type of focal length like a like a uh, twenty four to seventy and what mm-hmm. that would do is it would give me those medium shots and I'd be able to figure out what the musicians on stage are doing and what they're like as personalities and i would get a sense of how they moved 
Um, and then on the second, you know, the second track, I would switch to, let's say, um, a 7200. I would go for the more, uh, the close-up kind of shots. And then for the last track, I would go super wide with like a 14 to mm-hmm. 24 or something. And then in my head, that would be a clear structure. And I would, you know, that way I, w- I could ensure that I get all of these these different type of shots by the end of it. And I wouldn't basically run out of time because that's a really easy thing to happen to you. Like when you only have three tracks. Well, or no, for sure. Especially mm-hmm. if it's a band who are playing three and a half minute songs, right? Like that's yeah. less, yeah, it's, it's, it's barely, yeah, it's barely 15 minutes of your life, which is from start to finish, which is not long at all, at all. So yeah, no, it is, it is. I, I think everybody, everybody has to develop a strategy or a workflow that makes sense for them. Um, I know for a fact, the moment at which I started shooting with two bodies fairly early on changed things completely. Right. Sure. Because all of a sudden you're, I was just trying to remove obstacles or things that were eating up my time and whatnot and sort of would, would allow me to sort of, yeah, just, just keep this thing moving and, and whatnot. Cause there's, there's nothing worse than being on your 70 to 200, for instance, and being like, Oh, holy crap. He's right in front of me and he's going to do that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I've seen that happen Absolutely. to people and thankfully I've not, not got any real horror stories about that, but I've, I've seen people, in vain with their 70 to 200 trying to photograph the singer who's now on their knees in front of them filling the entire frame and it's yeah i don't know that break that breaks my heart so yeah the idea of being able to just yeah just simplify things to the point at which if you can remove the obstacles that you were in control of then you can focus on dealing with the sort of yeah I'm, i'm a big believer that shooting music for the most part um especially in smaller independent venues is more of an exercise in troubleshooting than it is a lot of other things at that point. <laughs> and that was kind of, in, in some ways, that's kind of what led me to getting really excited about portraiture and being able to light portraiture myself was I'd come from this background of trying to freeze action and moments that only happen once in the the, the crappiest of lighting conditions yeah. in small venues in the corner of a basement somewhere or whatever, right? The back room of a pub or whatever, before you get onto those bigger, nicer, clean lit venues. And it was, it was that idea that, okay, if I can really, if I can do that, if I am now in control of what is happening, the possibilities are endless. Right. And that was kind of what really excited me about sort of, yeah, getting to then start to shoot portraiture with musicians. Again, musicians were my, my way into that. And although nowadays I don't strictly shoot musicians, I shoot a lot of different people from a lot of different walks of life within, within the work that I shoot. Um, all of that stuff still somehow comes from those days of sort of trying to sort of treat everyday people like rock stars, basically, uh, and sort of present them in this larger than life kind of fashion. Um, and it's, that's not to say that I don't shoot natural light and I don't shoot with available light because I do. There are moments in which that, that happens, but for the most part, like I, I would say that if I, if I had a style at all, it is, it is simply that of trying to elevate something beyond what the eye is seeing, if that makes sense. I am trying to present somebody, whether they're a greengrocer or whether or not they're the biggest rock star on the face of planet Earth, I am trying to present them as somebody, right? Like in the way in which I am lighting them, posing them and presenting them to you when you look at that image. Now, there's, there's one image in particular. Well, there's actually a range of images um, I want to talk to you about. Um, there's one in particular oh. um, that I noticed um, that really kind of you know struck a chord with me and that's uh, where you have your model sitting on a rock in front of the sea and we'll see that image right here 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So this um, this is actually uh, one of my oldest friends in the world. So this was I I roped him into uh, and some other friends actually into a campaign that we were shooting for Interfit when the uh, the Badger Unleashed. Uh, uh, came out basically so it was within that first year of sort of campaign rollout stuff for for that product um and the idea was obviously yeah it's a it's a location strobe um which is genuinely powerful enough to use outside assuming you're not in the midday sun right so it's not quite as powerful as the as the bigger s1 heads but it is still a formidable location strobe yeah so we were we were up in the the northeast of england so this is up on the coast up in a place called staves which is this really really beautiful um um, sort of fishing village, uh, very very picturesque. Um, but what I kind of always loved about it was that the the uh, the the rocks and whatnot right there in the bay kind of have this almost rusty kind of look to them. So I I, I guess sort of it's a it's a chemical thing combined with the actual type of stone in that area. Um, and uh, yeah, so so when we were kind of chatting about this, I'd I'd always kind of wanted to shoot something there because I'd been there quite a few times as a as a kid and whatnot and i i was quite eager to sort of yeah to, to shoot some portraits in this in this bay um and when we were sort of rummaging through yeah the clothes in uh, in alex's uh, uh suitcase i saw that shirt and i was like hang on a minute that's perfect like you're gonna yeah so between the blue jeans he's wearing which kind of sort of kind of fit with the gray blue kind of sort of overcast mm -hmm. and sort of north sea behind him the sort of the rusty kind of shirt fit perfectly into sort of so yeah one of those kind of sort of happenstance moments but no the idea behind this was basically um, yeah, it was basically to do just a nice one light location portrait, basically, um, and sort of to, to to utilize the strobe to bring some sort of drama to this situation. Because this this was probably about four p.m. in in sort of September, right? So this is yeah. this is still reasonably considered as daylight outside um and the purpose was to sort of yeah it was to sort of really show that utilizing sort of the power that this strobe does have you have got enough there to really sort of walk that ambient exposure down um i'm trying to recall because we did some hss setups as part of the shoot but i honestly don't know if this one was in fact nick might be able to tell me because he's looking at the exif information can you tell <laughs> yes, me what the true. shutter speed was <laughs> it, it's not showing that i think i'd need to bring oh, that it into my mac to, to uh, see okay no worries at all <laughs> i i have a feeling that this one if i'm looking at how sort of intact everything is focus wise <laughs> i get the feeling this was probably at 250th of a second probably at about f8 or so um so instead of doing the high speed sync and killing the ambient with the shutter uh, and, and opening up my aperture this was more a case of sort of just really controlling the amount of yeah of daylight coming in via my aperture instead um yeah i think this was at a point where i was really sort of playing around with okay what does full power give me on yeah on this on this significantly smaller mm. but realistically very capable um yeah this very capable strobe um so yeah, no, I was I was really pleased with this. There was there was a number of frames from this um, setup that got used uh, by Interfit across the across the campaign, but this one was the one that I was yeah I really personally kind of liked, and it's been in my book of work ever since then actually. Um, and like I said, sentimentally because it's it's a very old friend of mine as well. I, I I like I like having real people mixed in there with actors and musicians because, like I said, like I I across the editorial and commercial work that I shoot, I do shoot a range of people, and uh, this is quite a good example of what I was describing before, which is like I like this idea of elevating people 
into something, right? Simply by the nature of how they're presented. You look at this person and you don't know who they are necessarily, but the way I've spotlit him on this rock, I'm telling you he is somebody, right? Like, and it's that, that power and being able to do that is, is still fascinating to me and really, really sort of excites me in terms of portrait work. You know, this ties in really well with an episode that we did um, a few months ago where we where we're basically uh, talking about balancing ambient light with flash. Mm-hmm. Um, For sure. And uh, and so that's I think that's one of the reasons why that really struck me, because I kind of I kind of thought, well, that's that's actually exactly what we recreated. Um, right. So it, you know, in, the, in that episode, we were recreating one of Hannah Cousins um, tutorial videos, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Right. Um, yeah, no, for sure. And so uh, what we did was uh, she shot a similar thing um, with Profoto Gear. We kind of thought, well, you know what? Not everybody owns Profoto Gear, so why don't we just recreate the same thing with the Indefit gear that that I use? Which yeah, you know, you there recognize. you go. In fact, yeah, that is that is the very strobe that uh, yeah that this was uh, yeah shot for the launch of yeah yeah. So, um, what strikes me is how powerful that Unleashed is. Is, uh, do you recall whether the it was off shot or whether you edited um, the strobe out? No. So, so this this is the frame is as it is. So basically, um, and I will I'll send it over to you. So I've got some behind the scenes just phone snaps that uh, that somebody oh, took great. whilst we were doing this. But no, basically, what what I tend to do, and again, it's one of those sort of semi controversial things. If you choose to get upset about these kind of things i shoot a lot of my portraits wide uh, like whether it's 24 or 35 mils uh, especially if it's an environmental portrait which is a lot of what i do quite often it's the context that the person is in which is as important and is as much of a, st- as a part of the story, of the story as the person yeah. right it's the it's the two halves of the story um so no so what i do with stuff like this this was um i believe this was on the, so modifier-wise, it was a pop-up beauty dish, which is probably uh, maybe 22 inches across, uh, and it had um, an elasticated diffusion sock on the front of it. Um, so it's a white beauty dish with a with a white sock. So my aim with that kind of stuff is that at a reasonable distance, it's not necessarily that really dead hard contrast that you're used mm-hmm. to from a beauty dish um i can kind of offset that and dial that in a little bit by the by the the proximity that i get it so what i tend to do is i tend to boom something like that right in and because i am going wide i don't deal with that issue necessarily of having to yeah to sort of yeah end up comping out sort of a, a c stand and a boom arm and whatever in this case the person assisting me was literally i think had it under their shoulder just telescoped out and literally just had it boomed in where I needed it. Gotcha. Um, so the beauty dish is just just out of shot, basically. So it is in front of camera, technically, I guess, at that point, but it, it not sufficiently at that field of view that you would have actually seen it. Um, yeah. And I think early on, I was quite eager... I was quite eager to figure out ways and means of doing that because I remember the first time I did actually comp out a c-stand with it with an arm and a reasonable size uh, parabolic on it and it just it took me forever and admittedly it is one of those things that is a lot faster to do now in terms of the different kind of augmentations you can do to speed up that kind of workflow but um i am not a retoucher per se i i am very very much uh, excited by having my sort of tonality correct and my look and feel in terms of color palettes but if i can if i can hand something off to the retoucher that I use very regularly, I would so much rather he did his magic on it because he does in two hours what might take me genuinely two and a half days to do to the same standard, right? In terms of 
finishing touches and so for commercial work for advertising work especially especially if it involves skin um i've worked with a handful of beauty brands and when you're literally that is their business right like they are selling skin which isn't achievable in real life i i will always hand that over to scott and have him work his magic on that because it is more use for me to be out there shooting and making more work for both of us than it is for me to spend two, three, four days of my life sat there very sort of methodically and slowly. And I've got a really weird relationship with retouching in the sense that I can do it and I understand the different principles that I use for the most part, but I just don't take pleasure in it. It's kind of like when people talk about running and they talk about getting past that wall where you then start to enjoy it and you can kind of get lost in it a little bit. But like, no, honestly, I am painfully aware of every minute, every half hour, every hour that elapses <laughs> whilst I'm working on stuff like that. So for the most part, I will I will do the post-processing in the sense of the digital darkroom stuff, right? And I will and I will dial in my tones and my colors and whatnot. But in terms of yeah, the heavier duty stuff, if it is comp yeah, compositing or if it's or if it's like a, what I consider to be a beauty level retouch, I'll do basic cleanups, right? But if it is something that really needs a pro finish, especially if it's for yeah commercial campaign work that that is something that i would rather have the right team of people around me and we produce something it takes a village right that's what people say and it mm -hmm. truly at that end of things it, it sort of does um but no something like the image we're talking about here albeit that was campaign imagery um obviously male male sort of skin and work and whatnot isn't quite as as heavy duty for the most part alex has got overall a really good complexion a lot of his face is hidden by a beard like mine is so it's kind of this is one of those situations where the simplicity of this in terms of it being one light it's a nice beautiful location we didn't set dress it we chose a shirt that had some nice colors in it this really is one of those things where you can piece together a fairly powerful shot by just simply just making some 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 basic decisions along the way mm. i mean if there's one thing this image has it's beautiful tone i mean the colors right. are are stunning you know it's, it's just that that's, kind of that's something of that's super important to me like it really it really is and and for the most part i will I will shoot for my end goal, my intention, right? So if it is a case of sort of needing to cool something down, I will attempt to do that in camera. Or if it's a case of warming something up, I often do gel my strobes, even if it is just a, a half CTO or a full CTO, because albeit I have, and we all have such a range of options available to us now as a result of shooting raw and whatnot, if I can create as near to the look and feel of what I'm going for in camera, mm -hmm there is something so much more satisfying about that. And especially if I've got a client on set and they're watching the tether come into my laptop or whatever, again, it just, it just helps everybody know that we're on the right track and that you're <laughs> to be honest, I found over time that the, the less imagination you require the people around you to have to employ on set when you are trying to sort of get through a, a busy day of sort of many setups, if I can get this as close to what they're imagining it needing to look like in camera, when they see it come up on the screen, so be it. In a situation like this, I would even probably white balance this upon, yeah, upon entry to capture one to give the kind of the overall temperature that you see here. You have that warmth, um, yeah, especially in the shadows, just to kind of to balance this whole thing out. So, so yeah, like I said, I, I really would 
in most situations, unless time is really of the essence, I would try, like I said, to, to dial as much of this stuff in, in camera as possible. And then obviously after that, you're shooting for the shadow play that you know you've got to work with in your, in your dynamic range and whatnot. So other than telling somebody, okay, the contrast might look a little different, I would try and have this looking fairly close to sort of as opposed to sort of the, the pseudo sony mentality of shoot everything dead flat and we'll figure out what this photograph is going to be later on yeah. i'm kind of i'm kind of the antithesis of that because although i never shot on film professionally at the beginning of my career i did learn with film i learned the hard way in terms of okay i've wasted 23 of these 24 frames right like i i do still have that sort of that niggle in the back of my brain which is like okay we need to meet to this in camera and get this exposure to where we need it to be. Um, and obviously, yeah, at this stage, it's, yeah, there's no excuse not for doing that because we can see things full screen. That's one of the things I love about the, the, the Nikon mirrorless cameras now. And I've got very used to very quickly seeing an ambient exposure, at least in my, in my viewfinder, right? Like, and, and the comfort that comes from that, it does just genuinely remove another, just that extra few seconds of kind of, yeah, when I'm building a shot like this, and first of all, I am dialing in my ambient to then add the flash to it. Yeah, again, it just sort of, yeah, it just, yeah, it really does streamline the process. And that's, that, a, that's, that's... a really interesting thought, especially, you know, if you if you consider that, you know, some of our listeners uh, maybe uh, not necessarily that, um you know, used to to balancing ambient light and flash. It's mm -hmm. the trick really is to start with the ambient light sure. that's available for you and dial that in um, to where, I wouldn't even say to where it's correct, but more where it's uh, pleasing, aesthetically pleasing mm -hmm. to you. Because one of, the, one of the things I like, and this is what I see in some of your pictures, is you make the deliberate um, decision to dial the ambience down mm -hmm. before you then apply the flash to the subject precisely yeah that's yeah. it and, and again like most things right if you shoot for a highlight you've got information to play with whereas if you do make the decision which i do in some situations i do make the decision sometimes to blow the background out but again that's that same decision making process is in play at that point i know for a fact if i'm going to do that in camera i am sending myself down a path whereby which I've not got that information to play with, right? And it all becomes part of building this scene in camera as opposed to sort of, yeah, just being so safe and so flat and so whatever that you then make that decision down the line. I am I am always making those decisions in the moment. Yeah, for sure. And I would rather maybe be half a stop under where I would be in a scientific sense because I know that in the kind of files that I'm getting from these from these Nikon bodies that I've got the space to pull those shadows and to yeah. push those shadows. And that's different even if I'm doing two lights versus one light. In one with a one light setup, I will maybe underexpose my background a little further because it does create that slightly more dynamic curve when you have got that single that single light and then you're using effectively the background as the fill. Is, um, so the the underexposing um, thing is that something that comes from your experience shooting music? Because I find myself doing that deliberately when I shoot a concert. I always underexpose up to a stop, stop and a half, because yeah, I know I, I can get stuff back. I, I, I think it is. I think it ultimately is because realistically, yeah. My my understanding of highlight and shadow came from shooting red lights in a very ugly oh, low light God. situation, right? So it's kind of and anybody who's tried to do that immediately now knows where I'm going with this. But yeah. once you get down to just the information that is in an individual single color channel, that is probably the most 
simple and sort of anatomical way that you could almost look at light, right? And when you see what does and doesn't work and what does and doesn't retain information in that channel, my understanding of everything else kind of explodes out from there because realistically that was the circumstances in which I was first employing my understanding of, yeah, ISO, shutter speed, aperture, right? So, yeah, I think, yeah, the very long answer to your question is yes. I think, I think shooting music and knowing that I would rather have a sharp shot that was underexposed that I can then push and potentially introduce some some noise or whatever i would rather see a noisy shot that was sharp and was interesting mm. as opposed to looking at something being like oh well that's really well exposed but i wish his arm wasn't blurred right well, like it kind of exactly. it, it, it's one of those things like yeah. i would much rather have have the information to play yeah. with and be able to nudge it at the risk of introducing yeah. artifacts and whatever else which nowadays with this kind of stuff you're shooting at 100 iso i can push this four stops and it's not going to look like the kind of garbage that we had on sensors 10, 12, 15 yeah, years absolutely. ago. Right? Like it's, mm -hmm. it's horses for courses at that point. Yeah. Uh, red and blue lights. The yes, of my red existence. and blue are horrible, horrible. <laughs> but, but then again, it's really funny because every time I change camera, I always end up using like a live music scenario as like my benchmark in my mm -hmm. mind truly for like how far this technology yep. has come. Oh, and honestly, it's, it, it is wild because there is stuff now and I see, I see younger at people who are getting into shooting music and whatever, I see images that they're sharing from those kind of lighting conditions where I'm like, honestly, and without sounding like the old guy in the room or whatever, 10 years ago, that file wasn't something you would have kept in your selection sure. because it was just mud. And that's mm -hmm. really exciting because I think the the further we get away from there being technical limitations on this stuff, mm. that is just, again like I keep saying, just streamlining things, right? You are getting to the point where truly your skill set and your ability to look at this and present this and capture this the way you as an individual are going to do that, that is all that should matter, right? Like we, we've kind of democratized the gear stuff because you have professionals using the same equipment or very similar equipment, at least, to people who are literally in college or whatever, right? Like it's hmm. that stuff is out of the window. It's all to play for. Um, and that's only going to keep getting better as time goes on, um, because even the consumer cameras at this point are out shooting on a technical level, the spec of what pro bodies were doing. Right. And so it's yeah. kind of that's another one of those things where it's like I, I, I really I really tried seven or eight years ago to get out of the mentality of thinking about that stuff and really kind of focusing on, okay, what am I genuinely bringing to this equation yeah. as opposed to the pixel peeping and whatever. And admittedly certain updates in technology do become exciting and do offer practical applications. Like I said, like the mirrorless bodies are the most interesting thing that's happened to sort of full frame cameras for quite some time. But that being said, does that allow me to do the bit that I am bringing to the table, right? Like all of this stuff has to come full circle to that same, that same idea and that same, that same principle. Um, so yeah, I think it's, yeah, it, it's one of those things. Like I said, no matter what kind of work I'm shooting on some level, my approach is dictated by how I got into this, which ultimately is, yeah, like I said, trying to make the most of a, of a bad situation with bad lighting in a, in a, in a, 
small venue somewhere in in the north of England. <laughs> and, and I mean, it, it is as you say. You know, it's it's uh, it's all about problem solving. The, one of the I mean, the biggest issue in music photography generally, especially when we're talking about indoor venues, mm-hmm. you know, where everything is pretty much dimly lit. The lighting conditions are ever changing and totally unpredictable because mm-hmm. you're shooting stage lighting and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then you know you have you know your subjects are you know. Um, insisting on moving at the same time that's terrible <laughs> how awful of them yeah. I, I know right <laughs> to, so you to gotta... try and bring some uh, enthusiasm to their performance yeah. exactly can you terrible. just stand still yeah just hold it there for a minute seconds. yeah okay slide to the left yeah can we hold that for two just yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. okay, okay now you can now you can play the bridge yeah that's look fine. at my hand move your head slightly to the left <laughs> bring your shoulder towards me yeah that's good <laughs> Can you squinch for um, me a little? <laughs> I, think, I think, though, like, as much as we're laughing about that, I think that is why, over time, I have still enjoyed shooting live stuff as well as shooting the portrait work, mm-hmm. is because both of them kind of feed into the other one in the sense that you don't become so locked into a mentality and a workflow that mm-hmm. you end up alienating yourself from, I have to keep thinking about it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, th- there are times when I have, there has been sort of, periods of time where I maybe haven't shot as much music work and I've been shooting a lot of portraiture and then all of a sudden it kind of it's this strange palate cleanser to then go and shoot a show because again it's like it it is almost a left brain right brain thing it's the same equipment you're it's still my arms and it's still my eyeballs but it's a do you know what I mean like it it is a different situation and sort of it it's kind of kind of humbling in in some ways because you do have to just you have to be, uh, you have to just relent that the situation is the situation mm-hmm. and you have to get into that other headspace as opposed to, yeah, me very much micromanaging where every single portion of light and shadow is sitting and, 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 and where that is, yeah, where that is laying within the frame. It's kind of, it's definitely kept me, kept me on my, uh, kept me on my toes over time. It's one of these sort of, um, it's one of those things where you basically live in two extremes. Like you have one situation where you have zero control over the lighting and then the other extreme where you can control everything. Right. 100%. That's it. And, and those that's, yeah. And I mean, I think that's, that, that's kind of it. That's kind of my personality actually overall. I think if I was to get slightly introspective there, like, yeah, like I, I very much live in, if I'm doing this, we're doing this right. Like I, yeah. I don't do anything I'm not interested in. I've got to be fully invested. Otherwise, why are we doing this? I kind of firmly believe that if you don't completely care about whatever it is, then there is somebody out there who cares more than you do and that will show through in what they do. So it's kind of, that's, that, that's exactly it. So, so yeah, I think, like I said, those two, those two polar opposites have kept me, I don't know, kept me sharp in a certain way with no, no pun intended. As soon as I said that, I regretted that. Um, (laughs) Yeah, they have, they have kept me sharp in the sense that like, I haven't become so immersed in just one workflow and one approach. Right. Because I know I always feel different rocking up to shoot. I don't know whether it's an actor or whoever in a hotel room and you've got 20 minutes. I always feel different doing that the morning after I've just been at a show with like 10,000 sweaty kids. Right. Where I thought I was going to die and somebody's pint of a dubious green liquid has come flying or whatever, like all of that stuff. I don't know, somehow centers me or brings me back to some sort of zero that allows me to then, do you know what I mean? Without getting so lost in the sort of the, the sort of the, the higher stakes production Mm. side of things. Yeah, we've spoken about this before. It's the same kind of thing of, you know, while it's great and important to niche down on what um, what what type of photography that you do, 
it's just as important to do as many different types of photography to a certain extent to keep that, um, you know, not only that level of interest up, but you start, you learn new things, you try things out and you start bringing those across mm -hmm. into whatever it is that you do niche down in. And that that's re really, really important for, for, it is. for me. It, it's super valuable. And, and the majority of people whose opinion I respect for the most part, photographically speaking, will tell you that. They will tell you that early on in their career, they shot a whole range of different stuff and they will they will say exactly what i did just then that all of those things in some way inadvertently or otherwise have do you know what i mean have contributed something context wise to, yeah. to to what it is they do now and i think that the tricky thing is and again i see a lot of this and i have always lived in the fear of that being me somehow there is the risk of showing all of your stuff in one place right like and sort of confusing anybody who is looking at you for a specific purpose because there is no client out there from a professional point of view who wants to hire you to shoot uh oh we want uh motorsport we want uh landscapes we want uh my cousin's wedding photographing and we're also going to shoot next yeah. week's um cover of rolling stone like that though all those things don't coexist in the same world so i'm kind of i'm a big believer in the in the professional sense of what you show as your work and who you are and what you do has to make context in the, sorry, has to make sense in the context of one another. Yeah. Right. So I have friends who over time who shot music around the same time I did, but they eventually gravitated away from showing the music work because it didn't make sense to their commercial clients down the line, because that simply wasn't the work that they were getting hired for yeah. anymore. Yeah. And I totally respect that. I 100% respect that. But for me, Albeit that stuff, the music stuff isn't as forward facing on my site when you go onto it as it once was. It is still there in the context that, yeah, I do still work for music publications. I still shoot for record labels, but I shoot both of those kinds of work for them. I shoot the portrait stuff. I shoot the, the press shots, the album cover, the whatever. But I also do still, yeah, I do still shoot live music work as well. So it's kind of, I think as long as that is still being reflected in my output, I think if it was two years since I'd shot any live music, then I would be like, okay, I need to decide, is this still something that I'm wanting to get hired for? And B, is this relevant to the people who are hiring me and how I am making a living, right? And then asserting some sort of agency over whether or not do you know what I mean? Like you ultimately have to choose that direction. You, yeah, you have to steer the ship in whichever direction it's going to go in. You're absolutely right. Because I mean, you know, if you want to see a prime example for completely disorganized um, Instagram, great, for example, all you have to do is just go onto my Instagram at Kirsten Nuts. You could see a complete mess. Of all sorts Was that of just some stuff. shameless promotion there? Well, <laughs> well um, but let me say this. If you want to see a really organized grid, then just check out my other Instagram, which is at three heads in a row, which will basically... <laughs> Right, the exact right. opposite. Well, and, but, and that's it. That's and I, okay. I don't think there's anything wrong with that in the no. sense that, again, like I know people who shoot wedding stuff six months of the year, but the rest of the year, they, yeah, they shoot all kinds of different work. And I think yeah. just being able to compartmentalize that and sort of put places allows you that flexibility because we are all complicated people who have different interests and different whatevers right but the same way in which i wouldn't try and get somebody to listen to a song on my photo page right like that that's yeah. a like that's, that's right. not that's not doing me the photographer any favors and to be honest it's probably not doing me the musician any favors either right because ultimately those audiences may intersect in some fashion some fashion but you are ultimately 
going to potentially alienate or dilute, if nothing else, and, and fizzle out any interest Absolutely. that people have in you as this professional who coherently presents what it is they do, exactly. right? Like it's exactly. I mean, it's, um, you know, I want to come back to the point that you made earlier, um, you know, where you said that, um, you know, it's because we're all complicated beings, it's, you know, there's the sum of, of all of the different um, experiences that we have as photographers uh, will eventually basically carve out our own individuality and our own sort of style. Mm-hmm. Now, one analogy we've used in the past on the, on the podcast is guitar playing, because that's a really good example. Right. You know, as a guitar player, we, every, you know, when you start learning the guitar as a kid or as a teenager or, you know, whenever, you really start by copying other people. You learn some mm-hmm. Hendrix solos and you learn some, you know, some Zeppelin, you know, some Van Halen and whatever else. And that's cool. Years down the road, what makes you you is the sum of all of these influences, right. ultimately. Mm-hmm. And I find that, you know, uh, with especially with people who are involved in music, um, you can match that up with all sorts of different things. You know, music and portrait go really well together. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, you know, again, there are lots of similarities because I'm, you know, I'm a music photographer and I'm also a portrait photographer and I can totally see where that connection is for you, for example. Um, when I got married some years ago, four or five years ago, um, I was looking for somebody to take photos <laughs> obviously but i didn't want um it's you know regular i wasn't really interested in in regular like wedding photographs and so i was looking for a music photographer because i kind of thought well i want somebody who's used to shooting music because i wanted to be more fly on the wall i wanted to you know i wanted to be more creative different and so i eventually found uh, someone through uh, actually through a mutual connection because he i saw his uh, he shot a band called Hacktivist, and um, and I saw I saw those band images. I kind of thought, I want that guy. That's these images are wicked, and so you know I, I was introduced, and uh, he came and shot my wedding, um, and it's fantastic. And the photos are different from other wedding photos that I've seen. Right, for sure. You know? That's that's exactly it. And I think it's like within any of these genres there is a style that establishes itself as the the same way in which in music we have pop music right i know we keep coming back to music as the analogy but people there will always be people chasing a trend and whatever else but yeah all of a sudden a a, like a yeah a roots musician or a blues guitar player or whatever playing pop music is going to sound totally different to whatever right and and vice versa but no on a personal level the parallels continue between you and i because at the moment literally uh my fiance and i are trying to choose somebody to shoot our wedding and she was like this is on you because you're the one who is or isn't going to be able to live with this decision so (laughs) so it yeah it's kind of it's kind of funny that you say that because that kind of has crossed my mind that yeah okay do i yeah do i want somebody who is going to approach this yeah more so the way in which i would potentially approach it or is that is that my ego and my whatever getting in the way of somebody genuinely just telling this story for us in a way that i can't even imagine at this point and i so i'm kind of in this sort of this weird sort of struggle um yeah this 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 dialogue with myself about that at the minute because obviously again you've got one shot to try and do this right like well that's it and you know of course as photographers you know it's you probably have the same experience but i remember like people asking me all the time like who's going to shoot your wedding like who's going to be your wedding photographer i was like well i'll find someone it's surely not going to be me right well no honestly and and a couple of people said that to me uh over over the the weekend at the photography show that uh yeah I, i don't know how far in the future we are at this point by the time people hear or see this but but yeah a few people said that to me and one guy just turned around to me and just said 
Christ, I wouldn't want to shoot your wedding. And I was like, what does that even mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> am I that much of a, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I am. I think I need to find somebody I don't know, doesn't know me, uh, which is very easy to do. Um, there is a lot of human beings on the planet. So, so yeah, I think that's maybe the approach I, I kind of, I kind of want, I want to find somebody who I see something in their work and I like that. Yeah. And then we remove all of the trappings of all of the other kind of nonsense maybe. And, yeah. um, but anyway, sorry, that's a little bit of a tangent. Yeah. But no, I just thought it was funny because like like we said, these sort of these similarities in our sort of paths and stories keep mm. keep presenting themselves. If I yeah. if I were you, when you do find someone where you know you like their work and you think mm. that's a guy I want to talk to, mm. don't tell him your name. Give him a different uh, name. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll get yeah, I'll get I'll get Sydney to uh, to to send the email rather than me, maybe. Um, yeah, but uh, <laughs> but no, honestly, like it, yeah, it is. It, it is one of those things. There, there really is part of me that feels like, oh yeah, I kind of. It's either you go with somebody you know and trust intimately, and you have known forever, or like you said, like you choose you choose somebody who, yeah, you really do see exactly what it is. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's also it. down to your own sensibilities. You know, um, I think. I mean, for me, for instance, it was important. I think that I that I had somebody who had who was a music photographer, really, because I like that's my sensibility. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I saw when I came across uh, Daniel's imagery actually his band imagery, you know, I kind of thought I like the eye, you know, I like mm-hmm. the way that person thinks. I like yeah. the way, you know, he approaches these sort of things. And that's kind of what I, what I wanted um, for my wedding photo, you know, and as an end result, actually, I mean, there's two things that happened. And again, stuff we talked about on the podcast before, but two things happened. First of all, my wedding day was the wettest August day since 1945. <laughs> and the original shoot that we had planned, you know, the idyllic shoot and like an oldie worldie bridge, blah, blah, blah. It's very Jane Austen. Jane Austen crossed with James Bond, I believe. Nice. But, um, but you know, so because in your mind's eye, you've got this idea of like, oh yeah, it's going to be bright blue sky. And it's all going to be beautiful and sun and all that kind of jazz, yeah. you know, uh, because that's what you see every other wedding photo mm. to be. But on, on my wedding day, on our wedding day, it was, it was just raining cats and dogs as they say over here. So, um, you know, and so, I already, I'd given up on that part of the shoot. I went like, okay, well, let's just f- forget about that. You know, it's rained out, but we're just going to stay at the house and we'll just do whatever we can do here. You know, it's all good. And then Daniel, my photographer, went like, well, I'm good. You know, I'm good to go. Like, if you want to. And so, you know, and I looked at my wife and she's like, in her full wedding dress, she goes like, yeah, I'm good too. Like, okay, let's go. <laughs> let's just do this. And, you know, and as, as an end result, of course, the resulting images are really quite unique because, you know, we're rained out. We're wet, <laughs> like yeah. dogs, you know. You can see the the raindrops in the air. It's just, you know. Right. But, you know, I don't know anybody whose wedding photos look like that. And, you know, as, an, as a consequence, we look at those a lot. You know, they're on in a little wooden box on our windowsill and we take them out very regularly. We look at them because they're really so unique. Um, and I don't know, you know, I don't know a lot of photographers who would have got through that trouble who just you know but somebody who knows how to you know what it's like to be right dripping of sweat in a in a venue yep. will go yeah I don't or, care. or so soaked in a field at a festival or yeah, whatever exactly, right like right. It, it's it's that can do let's make this work exactly like, yeah you you are there to make this happen one exactly. way or the other right and yeah. it either involves getting wet or it involves being laid in the dirt or do you know what i mean like it just doesn't yeah, yeah. and that no so that's that's awesome that yeah that you inadvertently without realizing it chose somebody whose attitude 
yeah, in absolutely. a situation you weren't anticipating was exactly the attitude you needed. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's that's very cool indeed. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, when we, when do you get married? Okay. Uh, so in January, uh, in January, yeah. So I'm actually uh, moving to the US. So yeah, my fiance is uh, yeah is an American citizen. Um, so yeah, I've been go- I've been going back and forth uh, to California for sort of uh, over ten years now. Um, and then ironically, I ended up meeting a girl in London uh, who was from there. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and we we yeah it kind of exploded out from there really. And it was fortuitously right before I was due to be there for like sort of a, a three, four month stint. And it kind of, yeah, the distance pre pre COVID, the distance was not a thing because both of us were, tra- were traveling regularly and whatnot. And we were only going sort of these, these shorter kind of periods of sort of, uh, yeah, of, of not being in the same place. And then obviously, yeah, like, like we said, the pandemic kicked in. I came back here thinking, okay, yeah, this, this is obviously an issue that needs to be resolved and I'll be back shortly and whatnot. But thankfully, uh, the UK never closed its borders. So, so yeah, so Sid has been able to sort of to continue to come here for, for chunks of time and then go back and whatnot. But it, it's been very weird having to sit on my hands for a little while. It's, it's only as recently as literally just August that my new work visa actually got authorized and they finally the 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 wheels of things finally started moving enough that that actually got sort of yeah processed so i i was i was back uh, on the on the east coast of the u.s for work literally a month ago for the first time in in 18 months and that's that's the longest i've not been in the usa like since i was about 18 or 19 years old wow. so it was kind of yeah it was it was very 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 bizarre but uh but no yeah the wedding is in january unless there are any more sort of huge road bumps but apparently according to our attorney we're on track and whatnot so yeah just fingers crossed on that front but i'm um, sure it'll be fine and go ahead as yeah. planned where, where I, I think so moving to uh, so so just north of uh, los angeles uh yeah okay. so the so yep. california central valley uh which is beautiful mm. uh sort of right right by the sequoia national uh, national forest like it's uh when it's not on fire it's an incredibly beautiful place fantastic <laughs> um but uh, but yeah no our ceremony is in april uh, so we get legally married in january and we push the ceremony to april because until again very recently the tourist travel ban to the us was still in place and mm. we kind of were skeptical about having friends and family here book flights for somewhere that legally at that point they weren't allowed to enter so so now that has been lifted uh yeah it's going to be exciting to sort of get everyone's travel plans together and um yeah, it's gonna be nice. It, it's comparatively quite a small wedding, but it, it's super important to us that it's actually more so like a, a week of our friends and family actually getting to spend time together, like mm-hmm. with the ceremony kind of in the middle of all of that. So yeah, I think that's why in terms of choosing somebody to photograph and document that, it is a little different to sort of simply one kind of big day as it were, because mm-hmm. realistically it's 30 people spending a few days together rather than it being do you know what i mean like 100 150 people in one building in yeah. one day so it's yeah it, it is going to be a little different i love i love the fact that the parallels do steep t- uh, to keep continuing here um, yeah. because you know i mean one is um so my half of my family are uh from canada uh, mm-hmm. in alberta and mm-hmm. so when when i met my wife over here in london um it turned out that not only is she canadian but she's also <laughs> she was born in the same province um, about right, an hour, wow. yeah, about wow. an hour and a half away. And so you know, given that's yeah, that's it, not, well. So it was one of those things. It was kind of my friends when I told them I'd, I'd met this girl from California and whatnot. They they were not surprised by that in the slightest. Mm. It was when I said, "Oh, we met on a job that we were both doing in London." Um, 
she she works with uh, a brand that I was shooting, yeah, mm. some 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 campaign imagery with, and we sort of we got to know each other and stayed in touch, and sort of a, a friendship and whatnot developed down the line. Um, but yeah, it was the fact it happened here as opposed to because mm. they've been familiar with the fact that I've been out there for different stints of time over the last decade or so. So yeah, I don't know that the, the, the world works in a really really funny way sometimes. But, yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't change it at this point. <laughs> oh, of course. Now, I want to talk to you about another um, one of your images uh, because sure. it just that just came to mind because we were talking about red light earlier, and that's that's the heaven uh-huh. um, image where you've got you shot. Um, oh yeah, so this yeah, so this is a, a poster for a, for a single uh, by a um, yeah by a great um, British pop band uh, called Denova. Um, so yeah, so this was yeah, this was an artwork shoot. So this was part of a, a session um, which was designed to basically create a number of different setups uh, for them to use during the the campaign for a single launch, basically. Um, so this frame here that they ended up absolutely loving, which I'm really pleased they did, because this was something I kind of talked them into towards the end of the of the day. And this is how a lot of these things go, right? You've got the stuff in the bag that was that was mood boarded and and art directed and whatnot and then eventually there was sort of we'd been talking the whole time about like okay is there a way to incorporate motion without it being really contrived or it looking like someone's gcse uh, photography project or whatever and there is a there is such a fine line between that stuff especially when you're starting to incorporate uh color and whatnot and um yeah so they were they they were the shoot wasn't designed to be tied into a music video in the sense that it needed to look like stills from a music video Mm. but they were wanting just to thematically uh tie in in terms of color palette all of the artwork the photos and then subsequently the video for this same single so i said look hang on we've got this huge black we're in a we're in a a sort of a yeah in a seamless studio but on the other side there was the uh the black curtain which is used to sort of to, to deaden the background and whatnot and i said Okay, what if we literally just isolate you completely in this in this black and then we just really subtly introduce the green and the red, but we're going to do a slow shutter rear sync kind of thing. So basically, you're going to move pretty vigorously for about a second and then yeah, and then the flash will fire and we will so this is this is one of those where it was kind of yeah it was it was a fairly last minute thing to sort of to 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 throw at them but they're they're great guys and I've worked with them a few times now and I really they're usually pretty all in because they're in I've not I've not steered them wrong so far right so it's kind of we're at a stage now in that relationship where if I say something that some people might be like hang on a minute what you want me to swing my head around like a crazy person for hmm. two seconds do you know what I mean some people would be like well no I'm not going to do that that sounds ridiculous but these guys kind of trusted me and i i really quickly showed them just literally i put the camera on a tripod and i would just had my assistant waving his arm in front of it and i showed them what the two lights would look like as they intersect this was basically two lights at a opposing 45 degree angles right so you've got back left i think and then front right and yeah because the flashes are firing at the end of the exposure on what we call the rear curtain um you basically any movement you get within the available light, which at this point is just the modeling lights. Actually, there wasn't. We killed all the other lights in the room, and the the blur you're getting is literally from yeah from the available light from the modeling lights that were gelled, and it and it just worked. It it was one of those things that sort of we probably shot six or seven frames of this, 
this what I want to say was the second or the third. And I was like, okay, this in my head, even just on screen, just then when I showed them, I was like, this is as close to the idea that I just described to you as we are going to get. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and it just, and it just happened and it worked and it was great. What was the shutter speed on this? That is a really good question. I want to say that this, where so initially I tried it with a longer, I think I tried it with like maybe two or two and a half seconds open. And I think in the end, this was actually probably a second or a second and a half. I'd have to, I'd have to pull this up and, sure. um, and look, but yeah, it, it's not super slow. Um, I think we're probably, again, we're probably at like F9 or F10, fairly high power on the, on the strobe. So this would have been a couple of my um, Interfit S1s, which are sort of the 500 watt uh, mm. monolights. Um, which even when I'm working indoors, I still use those because I love not having cables and not having to worry about where power is and stuff. And it's just so much easier to to move between setups using battery strobes. Mm. Um, I mean, as you guys know, but uh, for anybody out there who is currently living cable hell and kicking things out and unplugging things and whatever, if, if it's just the tether cable I've got to look out for, that's fine. One cable I can deal mm. with. But when I used to use my older Bowens uh, gear, which had like the big travel packs and stuff, I just constantly, me or some somebody else if it was the makeup artist or my assistant or somebody inevitably would boot the power cord out of one of those strobes and you'd mm. yeah you'd end up having to wait for it to cool down and then you dump the power when it turned back on and anyway long story short yeah going cable free was great and in situations like this shots like this which i convinced them into doing kind of fairly last minute become viable because i literally said right let's move these strobes to here I'm going to get you to throw that gel on this one, this gel on this one, and then we're going to do it, right? Like the simplicity of being able to make that happen very quickly leads to stuff like this being able to be a thing, right? It doesn't have to become a line item on a brief to necessarily be able to do something like this if the moment kind of strikes. And that's what I kind of love about working with musicians, especially if it's somebody who is willing to sort of have a dialogue and a communication and whatnot. Um, yeah, the sum of its parts is what I'm interested in, right? Like I'm not so much interested in what I can do on my own. I love the idea that a lot of these shots um, are essentially only possible because everybody involved contributed something. Mm. And that, that to me is, that to me is interesting. It's the same as playing in a band, right? Like it's, it's that thing of like the, that group of people doing this thing together yields something that is different to what any one of those people could do on their own yeah yeah so the of how much how much direction did you know given that you got four people in the shot and the type of shot that it is mm -hmm. how much direction did these guys need to get so, that right movement at the right time yeah so so once once we'd posed it the only sort of the the literal moving part at this point became okay it's one thing if you're standing still and you guys are on these different angles and you're in these different positions but what happens then when we incorporate people moving off of the axis so what i did in the end was i got them to keep their feet firmly rooted where they were mm. and then in theory any movement that was taking place was happening pretty much in the upper body mostly the shoulders and the neck for the most part um and what that also does is that also stops the entire image from becoming a blur because essentially if you've got full body movement and people doing really exaggerated over that you just end up with a mush in the middle right Whereas here, you kind of in the middle of this frame, because we knew that all of this stuff we were shooting with plenty of negative space because there was there was going to be some artwork of some sort from one of these setups. So because we've got the negative space above, 
And we've obviously got the lower section where they are still. The movement and the blur is kind of what draws your eyes into the middle of this frame. Um, so, yeah, so in terms of direction, it was just a case of figuring which way people were going to turn their heads and just choosing a start and an end position. So we were aiming to basically have different people's heads facing different directions at the mm -hmm. end of the shot. And what I liked about this one is, uh, so Kevin, who is the singer, is at the front of this frame. And I quite liked in the end, the idea that we had everybody other than Kevin looking to camera. Because it's kind of this trope within music photography that the singer is always just eyeballing the camera and whatever the other guys are doing doesn't matter, right? Like people are just looking. <laughs> People are just looking at the singer, which is a, a, a nonsense kind of concept. So, yeah, I kind of liked the idea we were subverting that a little bit. Mm. And sort of even though he was at the front of the frame, he's the one who isn't making eye contact with you. But again, the sort of fact his head's pointing down at a 45 degree angle just creates another set of lines within this kind of composition, really. If you were to draw the lines mm. between like where the where the heads are pointing when the flash finally fired at the end of the exposure. Now, Man. talking about flash, of course, you've been... You've been working with Interfit for uh, for quite some time. Yeah, it's been a while now. I think I think 2017. Um, I started a conversation with them, kind of, <laughs> kind of out of frustration to to some degree. So I, like I said, historically I'd used Bowens for quite a few years, but they were heavy and they were old, and it was at a time where the monolight stuff was getting pretty good. And Profoto had the B1 at that point. And I was getting to the point where I was hiring those shoot by shoot rather than taking my own gear. And in some of those situations where there wasn't a ton of budget, I was actually sort of swallowing the some of that rental cost mm. in some of those situations because people were like, well, hang on a minute. Like, we know you've got X amount of equipment and that was factored into the rate and whatever. So I was, I was stomaching the cost in certain situations of just having these really simple, great monolights, right? Like these 500 watt monolights. Um, and I was literally sat there with, I think three of them in my basket on the, on the pro photo site about to purchase these kind of just staring at this number in front of me, just being like, this is a lot of money for, for what it is. And I was like, I keep renting them. So that I'm throwing dead money at that. Right. And this is kind of, this is a weird, a weird thing to say out loud, but I had this moment where I was like, there has to be something else out there. Right. Like I tried not to do the thing that a lot of people do with Apple, for instance, where it's like the cult like following of a brand has resulted in people just ignoring the fact there is an entire marketplace of, alternatives right um and i was like this is enough money that i like i need to do my due diligence at this point i knew that at that point Ellingcrom didn't really have anything so i had a couple of friends in a similar position who had tried rangers but you were still taking the packs and i was like I, whatever i buy next i don't want separate battery packs right like i need to move away from that i need built-in monolights that i can take a battery out and recharge and honestly whilst i was kind of doing the digging, it felt almost too good to be true, but I started to see people admittedly on smaller blogs and different sites and different forums talking about these Interfit S1s, which had literally just come out, I think at the end of 2016, at least in Europe. I think they maybe came out in the US in the January of that year. Um, but I watched everything I could find and I could see, and I was like, okay, these look great. The results look great, but I was like, okay, so maybe maybe it's the build quality. My my only experience with Interfit as a brand at that point was when I was a student a long, long time ago. I worked in Jessup's as a, as a weekend job, right? And 
I knew, I remembered that we sold these sort of these home portrait kits, right? For people to take pictures of their babies and whatever. And it was, it was constant lamps. They were as hot as the sun. We used to use one to take the, the passport pictures with, right? Uh, and that was my only experience. I was like, how is this same brand? Because I was seeing professional results saying, yeah, this is like a pro flash from this brand that people have kind of dismissed as this mm. just cheaper entry level, whatever consumer brand. Right. Um, and so anyway, so I, 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 um, I found an email for, uh, for Lorne Gray, who is the, the, the European marketing director, surprisingly easy, uh, to find. Um, and I was like, well, this is a good sign. Um, uh, and I, and I just fired him an email just saying, look, where, where is there in the UK that I could literally go into and I could actually see these in person, try one of these S1 strobes out and sort of see see what I see what I think, and and the conversation just kind of developed from there. And he looked at what I did and stuff, and he said, "Well, to be perfectly honest, like I'm more than happy to send one of these to you. Let me know what you think. If you don't like it, put it back in the box and send it back to me. And if you do like it, then let's 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 talk about yeah how we can potentially help each other in this situation. Mm. Um, because he had just taken over that job uh, for Europe, and he was kind of he was new to the business in that sense, and and they were sort of they were quite eager at that stage to overhaul their ambassador program, uh, because again the people they'd had prior to having this pro level flash were people who were maybe more so in line with the consumer stuff they'd been doing. So it was people who sh- who maybe shot. Um, yeah, that weird kind of crossover kind of stuff where it's sort of it's um, it, it's not necessarily the rigorous sort of professional use, right? It's the more kind of safe, contained sort of home studio kind of crowd, I guess, that they they had before. Um, and anyway, very long story short, I used the S1. I loved it. I realized it was in a metal body, which was it, the build quality was my last question I had after I'd because you guys know this when you look at gear online. Until you see it, you don't know if it's basically just a just a plastic bucket, right? Like it, <laughs> it it could be anything. Things can look great in CG renderings or very beautifully studio lit product shots of different stuff for ecom, but until you physically see it and you feel it and you press the switches and whatever. And honestly, yeah, I fell in love with it. And I was like, how is this? At that point in time, they I think they those heads were sort of somewhere in the region of about seven hundred and fifty pounds. Hmm. And I was like, I could have two of these for the price of one B1. Mm-hmm. And at that stage, I was like, okay, so what am I getting for the other 750 pounds with the B1? And the major difference at that point was actually a, a disadvantage from Profoto's point of view, because that first generation of B1, and somebody will more than likely correct me if I'm wrong, but the versions I was hiring, I could not charge the battery independently of the body for the strobe. I had to plug the whole thing in in order to recharge it. So it wasn't a case of shoot, 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 swap a battery, charge a battery. You literally had to stop, plug the whole damn thing in because it was using it as a cradle to charge it. And I believe they eventually did that changed, right? That did eventually change down the line. But I was like, hang on a minute. So I'm paying twice the money for something that's less convenient and it's the same power. It's the same output. It's, it's, yeah, it, it is a metal body. Uh, and over time, yeah. So like I said, I, I had this conversation with Lorne. I, I fell in love with what it could do because it didn't have the cables. It was very neat and sleek and it was black. It matched my heart and my wardrobe. Um, and um, yeah, and honestly, I was I was sold. And he eventually sort of said, look, we really, we don't have anybody shooting the kind of work that you're doing in the kind of the 
areas you're doing it for the clients you're doing it for how do you feel potentially about sort of yeah um yeah coming on board uh producing some content with us and um this was right before tps i think in 2017 and he said we're we're going to tps for the first time as a a pro facing brand at that point with a with a genuine pro line of products um how would you feel about yeah teaching some demos at our booth and whatnot and sort of showing people how you use this stuff to create the kind of work that you do and it sort of yeah it just spiraled from there and over the next couple of years obviously eventually the honey badger the original uh wall powered mains version of that came out and that was that was exciting i got to be a part of that sort of rollout and stuff and again I used those a little bit, but the thing that was always the kind of the drawback was I could only use those indoors, right? Like, and it was, it was cool to have them as additional lights, which worked with my S1s. But I said from the get-go, I was like, this is a fantastic light, but I'm going to say what everybody else is going to say to you as soon as this hits the market, which is, is there a battery version for this? Is there a battery pack available? Is there a way of making this portable? And sure enough, I'm not saying it was me individually who impacted this decision, but I guess I was the, the poster boy for this observation yeah eventually the r&d guys uh said yeah let's let's look at um yeah let's look at, at doing an option that the obvious option is to make this portable and that's exactly what uh, what kirsten's got right next to him he's got the badger unleashed which is a 250 watt head but it's got this great removable uh lithium ion battery yeah. um so again getting to be a very small part of the sort of the process of this coming together and whatnot and then eventually getting to shoot some of the campaign stuff for it was was really exciting like it was interfit were a great size brand for me um especially at that moment in time because mm. um yeah that they were they were a business that were genuinely they weren't so big that you couldn't have these meaningful conversations right everything genuinely was a discussion and ideas were taken on board feedback was genuinely desired as opposed to it just being a sort of a oh we'd love to know what you think providing you like what it is we yeah. do but genuinely a lot of the, the the sort of the critiques over time from using stuff and whatever even down to just like oh is there any chance this part could be made of something different right like is there a way of all of this feedback was received really really well and sort of yeah it it is it, it it's been really really nice to sort of be part of that family yeah. um and yeah i'm 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 hoping to continue that when i yeah, once I am based in the U.S. because they they are a California-based business. They're uh, I believe they're based out of Irvine in Southern California. So so yeah, so it, it it's been it's been really really cool to to get to do this with them. And it's yeah, it's led to sort of teaching opportunities which I never really had thought about or I hadn't pursued individually. I guess like I I sort of I just hadn't made the time to go down that kind of route. But it's been really fun to get to teach workshops. We've mm -hmm. done some that were in uh, conjunction with WEX. Um, I um, I did a couple of sessions for them whereby which it was an introduction to location portraiture, right? So kind of not dissimilar to, to what we were talking about with Alex sat on the rock. The idea of making these really powerful one light real world portraits right which feel larger than life and yeah so it's been it's been it's been a ton of fun and even as recently as yeah a few weeks ago now at, at this year's tps it was great to be kind of back on stage kind of yeah genuinely answering people's questions in real time and stuff as opposed to as, as amazing as youtube is and it's this incredible fountain of of information that real one-to-one -one kind of you can ask a human being and get a response in real time kind of that that has been lacking and as much as i really enjoyed um yeah getting to participate in some of the online tps stuff that they um programming that they offered we did a lot of great kind of chats and and whatever after a certain point being able to physically show somebody 
this is how I do it. This is where I position it. This is where I move it when it's not working the way I want it to. This is how I problem solve. I don't know. The immediacy of doing it in person was really, 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 really cool. Really, really refreshing to get to do that again. I tell you what I really liked um, about the, especially about the Honey Badger Unleashed. This is really the reason why I got into those originally was because um, I had... Uh, an extension built to to my house, which mm-hmm. now sort of is my little photo studio, and um, I needed a I needed a, a strobe that you know the extension isn't terribly big, so I needed mm-hmm. a strobe that I could get closer to the wall because we're talking you know about a situation where every inch really matters. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and no matter where I looked, you know, everything from a form factor point of view, everything was sort of elongated and, you know, it's a stereotypical right. kind of... Yeah, they're all like a foot long, right? Like yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, <laughs> I was, you know, I kept saying, oh, man, I just, you know, I need something like an alien bee, basically. That's what I need. Mm. You know, like an Einstein, that sort of a thing. Yeah. And of course, you can't get those over here um, right. in Europe. So, and then I came across this and I'm like, wait a minute, that's an alien bee, isn't it? <laughs> You know? Right, yeah. That, like, that shape is very reminiscent of that. Yeah. yeah. And it's perfect because, you know, it's... Uh, it's cubic, you know, I can get it close, close to my wall, which is perfect. Um, and it's just super easy. It's super easy to use, totally intuitive. I mean, it's no, you don't, you don't need a degree to. No, well, and, and that's yourself. it. And that's, that's, that's what I think is, is great about these is like, these are really, these genuinely can be used at a professional level Absolutely. and they can be used as part of a bigger kit. But at the same time, there are so many people because of the price point um, and because obviously it's bright yellow and it's, it's, it's definitely a lot more f- <laughs> for the same reason that people keep buying tether tools cables, right? Which are yeah. USB cables at the end of the day. You make it a fun color and that, that will get you an awfully long way. It's got scheme. badger on the side. I mean, right what? there you go like the, the fun the fun factor is is through the roof and yeah. i'm not meaning to sound dismissive by the way sure. about the cables, but they are better quality cables but in this situation a bright fun looking cube shaped strobe which doesn't really look especially in that color hmm. like anything else right like you said it's got that that shape which is familiar to people hmm. but yeah like it it's always it's always been a talking point at the shows but the actual performance is what kind of blows my mind is that yeah these these really do hold up against yeah the 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 full size pro grade flashes but no these have been a really nice segue for a lot of people who maybe didn't necessarily see themselves as being lighting people or whatever right like i always hear people say that at at, at the shows and it's it's funny to me because it's that doesn't exist you don't there aren't lighting people and non-lighting people, right? Like we're all photographers and it's just down to how you use light at the end of the day. But because these are so much more fun, I feel like people genuinely have taken the step and they've kind of fallen in love with it because they've realized, like you said, like you don't have to be a NASA grade engineer to, to, to get really, really cool results out of these. Like it's super simple to operate. And also at the end of the day, like it is, it's not taking up an entire room of your house. Like it's, it, I, I think I maybe said this to you guys at one point, but there are times when I will pack a kit, which is two of those unleashed heads and one of my S ones. Mm. And that fits in the same size bag, which I can travel with very easily. If it's, if it's a sort of a, a fast and loose kind of thing, fits into like a normal size photo backpack, right? Like it fits in my think tank street Walker hard drive, which is a normal size bag. And before the idea of having to do a three light setup usually meant you were kind of bringing the kitchen sink because if I'm, I'm bringing a case big enough for three of my S ones, I'm big in it, bringing a case, which is big enough for eight of my strobe. So it's like, well, why aren't you going to bring every, so yeah, even just simple stuff like that, like they, they are genuinely small, but at the same time, um, 
like we showed you with that photo with 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 Alex, like you have got enough power to do the outdoor work properly. Yeah. You maybe can't fight midday sun with 250 watts, but that's not who these are being sold to, right? No, At the exactly. end of the day, like it's it 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 is a different it's a different option, but it yeah. is a very versatile option used in a lot of different circumstances. Yeah. I, mean, and, I haven't. I mean, to be honest, yeah, I haven't really come across a situation where I haven't been able to um, to use this. Um, right. We've used this. I mean, Nick, Nick and I, you know, we've used this for many, many, many projects. Um, mm. Anything from light painting to outdoors portraiture, you know, to yeah. also different sure. things. Um, I use it, yes. you know, I use it for uh, my three heads in a row project uh, for all of those mm-hmm. um, um, portraits. It's, um, I, I like it. You know, it does say a lot about a company when they come out with a bright yellow flash. That's <laughs> right. No, for sure. That's that's exactly it. And, and I think in some ways, because and and this is this is me speaking as an individual at this point, and this certainly isn't reflective of 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 how Interfit would describe this, but it says to me a lot about a brand who aren't so far I don't know, mm-hmm. down the rabbit hole of their own mythology and, and how seriously they take themselves. Exactly. Um because like I said, the S1 was the first real foray into a pro level flash right mm. so at that point they didn't they weren't they weren't bound by anything right they they were in a position where yeah we can make a really fun eye-catching looking pretty powerful portable strobe mm. without people being like what the what what is do you know what i mean can you imagine if the next iphone just came out in just in pink yeah but there's yeah, no exactly. other colorways yeah. it's just bright pink right yeah. like it's or green or whatever right if it's just that one random color like they're tied by all the trappings of their own design, right? Like of, all, of, 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 of everything that's happened before that. And like I said, like that's, that's what's been fun about working with a company like Interfit is they are the right size for, yeah, for something fun and meaningful to be able to sort of to, to happen in those conversations and stuff. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun to be, to be a part of the sort of the, yeah, the campaign imagery, if nothing else for, for these, for these new strobes. Well, we all certainly the, had a lot of fun. Play well together, right? They do, yeah. So that's it. So that's the idea: is that the that both the the Honey Badger, the original three twenty watt mains version, the Badger Unleashed, which is the one we're talking about here with the battery, and then the S one strobes. All of those are yeah are compatible with each other. So they're they're part of the same sort of ecosystem, as they call it. Uh, so yeah. they're operated off the same trigger in theory. Um, so yeah, so it's great. And you and you've obviously the Unleashed also supports high speed sync as well. So even if you're yeah, doing HSS on the S1, these guys can still keep up because it's the same. It's the same technology, basically, yeah, to yeah. be able to do the yeah, the higher, the higher speeds. And of course, you know, with the with the bones fit, I mean, all of your general accessories will fit. So that was that was the other thing as well. So going back to sort of that very initial kind of bit of research I was doing, it, it genuinely was interesting to me that oh, well, I've got all of this bones fit stuff, right? So it, rather than having to buy adapters or having to throw the baby out with the bathwater and get yeah. a whole bunch of new modifiers in general. Initially, when I thought I was going to be buying myself a, a set of these, the idea that I didn't have to replace everything uh, accessory-wise was really mm-hmm. cool. Uh, but over time, obviously now, I think there is a Profoto ring, there's an Elencrom ring, there's even a Broncolor one now as well. So pretty much any modifier you've got from the big kind of players in, in, the, in the lighting industry, you have an option to be able to, to reverse engineer those. Um, but over time, I came to sort of, really really like some of the modifiers that interfit were making especially when they started producing sort of their uh their sort of their pop-up octas and stuff because mm. a lot of the stuff i had was sort of just the old school okay we're doing rods into a speed ring 
and that takes time. And and obviously, because a lot of what I shoot is location portraiture, it's sometimes the difference between sort of like actually making the decision as to whether or not you're going to do a, a, a lit setup or not, right? Because if you're going to waste 10 minutes of the of the 15 minutes you've got by having somebody put 16 rods into a ring. Do you know what I mean? It's these real, like I said, anything that can streamline the workflow. So yeah. So, so eventually I was like, well, no, you guys have the modifiers as well. And they're, they're also comparatively like great, great value um, compared to, yeah, again. So if you look at sort of even like the Fotex soft lighter and stuff, which became super popular because it was a great, great modifier, mm. even the simplicity of, of, of that umbrella kind of setup became this yeah this 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 different this different animal altogether um so when you guys see me using the parabolics effectively that's very similar to that same principle it's just a, a two second up assembled and then you've just got an elasticated diffuser over the front of it and for the for the location stuff especially i really do believe that if i can just trim down anything that is sucking time and not adding truly to the experience and to the image that we're creating. If I can't see the value of the time that was spent in the image, then it, that's, that's, do you know what I mean? That, that doesn't sit well with me. I need, I need that to be present because if not, there is a better solution. Mm. And that's the problem solving part of my brain that kicks in at that point. So Ben, you've got a couple of workshops coming up, I hear. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, we're waiting to confirm dates, but uh, yeah, before before the end of this year, uh, I'm going to be teaching some location lighting workshops. Um, so in partnership with Interfit, um, we're going to be doing everything from simple one light location setups all the way through to actually a slightly higher production value multiple light setup in a real world location. So it's going to be two separate days. Uh, the first, the one light day is going to be aimed at people who literally are getting into shooting that kind of work for the first time. And then the second day um, is going to be, like I said, like a more of a more of a production scale uh, kind of shoot, basically, with, with multiple lights, balancing that against ambient and different weather and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, so they're going to be available for up to eight photographers on each course. Uh, and it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be hands-on. It's going to be genuinely really, really exciting to be, to be teaching uh, in real life again and doing this stuff uh, in person um so yeah so keep your eyes peeled uh yeah on on socials and whatnot and i as soon as we can announce the dates and locations i will be doing that but uh yeah i'm looking forward to doing that again because they're always super rewarding and you get to know people over the course of a day and it's really cool to see them figure out certain things and have a little light bulb moments where they know yeah. how they can then factor this into what they do um and also it's an opportunity to try a bunch of a bunch of gear that you might not necessarily get to try out before you buy it and whatnot so so yeah getting to use a different kind of modifier and see what an a deep octa, octa box does versus a regular square softbox or whatever and really seeing that practical application and stuff um is is a lot of fun and like i said just sort of solidifying people's people's knowledge so there'll be like a beginner intermediate kind of day and then the second one will be more so people who are trying to step up to like a, a higher production value level and sort of shooting with multiple lights on location um so yeah i will uh, i will keep you guys posted as soon as we can uh, yeah as soon as we can announce those dates and of That's course awesome, you man. will find all of ben's uh, social media links in the description of this video or yeah. uh, or podcast um that being said ben thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to us today uh, thank you guys thank you for having me and letting me uh, ramble like a like the crazy man <laughs> that i am <laughs> fantastic well 
That is it. We've come to the end of Camera Shake Podcast episode 77 with Ben Bentley as our special guest today. And remember, if you are listening to the audio version of this podcast, you can hop over to YouTube where you can see our faces in full Technicolor. And lastly, uh, if you are willing to join the Camera Shake community, just head over to camerashake.com, hit the join the community button. It'd be fantastic to see you there. We will uh, not bombard you with countless newsletters uh, and such you know, but once in a while, there'll be some behind the scenes uh, stuff that you'll be privy to see. So that's it. The end of episode 77. We'll see you again next <laughs> Thursday.